Hello and welcome to Everyday Eternal number 102, your favorite, most deceptively named bi-weekly legacy podcast. Today's show is brought to you by our brand new patrons, Peter White and Martin Engler. Thank you so much for your support. And Callum, thank you so much for coming on in this British morning. Um, this is one of the first times you're actually recording in the morning, right? How Did, yeah, did you nice. just get up? Have you been busy uh, already? No, I woke up early and um, been pitting, putting around doing things and stuff and looking through the new spoilers in case we missed anything. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually quite nice to do it in the morning because we usually do like kind of a, a weekday kind of evening and stuff, which is nice as well. But this time... Uh, it's the perfect opportunity like we want to talk about some of the new cards because there's a lot happening to legacy like it's it's a modern focus set but it's going to have a huge impact on legacy so it's the end of the spoiler week i believe the set comes out next week um someone correct me if i'm horribly wrong and i'll quit the podcast and leave the country but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think it's like next thursday or something so it's the perfect time i think most of the previews have come out or at least we've seen like half the set and we've got plenty to talk about so yeah ready to jump in what have you been up to recently like uh, anything cool, interesting? Nothing exactly, uh, but I've been playing elves a lot lately again. After and losing playing loads, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I just played it because I wanted to change from playing Delver all the time. But boy, is it good right now! I I geared my list towards being able to beat Delver like reasonably often, and thus far I'm I don't know I I'm on an insane win rate against Delver, uh, which is like not really where you should be. But I guess part of that is that my sideboard is really heavily geared against Delver, and the other part is that Delver doesn't really respect elves a lot right now. I feel like like I, when I play against them and. I always get the impression they they have like one blazing volley and that's pretty much it. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where I feel like they should be playing like two at least or three even or like two and a rough tumble or I don't know some some combination because elves is so clearly strong and I guess they're like trying to be ready for the mirror as well like because it's just everywhere. But I guess blazing volley still kills you on pyromancer. Yeah, maybe it's one of those things where I'm like saying like obviously they should play that, but actually cyborg <laughs> mapping comes into question and stuff. And you don't really know everything, but. Yeah, I can see if they're underestimating elves. Like elves doesn't take prisoners; it just kills you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, I, overall, not even with regards to Delver, the biggest thing is that I rarely ever run to Plague Engineer right now. I've, I've tweeted about this a couple of times. I always keep running into these like blue red Delver decks, rock Delver decks, Bond Miracles, and then you know the odd combo deck. But I also like I, I got a little bit of that um, covered in my sideboard, so I, I'm feeling pretty good uh, about where elves is at right now. But I think. Both Diver decks as well as like any kind of mid-range decks, if they start showing up again, are probably going to respect elves a lot more because it's not only me. I think a lot of people have been doing pretty well with the deck uh, lately and like Plague Engineer still is a card and it's quite annoying to deal with. So let's see where this ends. But the last two weeks, wow, absolutely yes, wow. So I just much. like randomly ran the numbers of my last something like 30 matches and over the th last 30 matches, my win percentage has been like 90%. It's absolutely That's absurd. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I just saw you post your new 5-0, like, every day on Twitter, or every half a day, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It does make sense, though, because I guess if, like, Plague Engineer from Delver is just so much harder to beat because you've, you're have you already getting attacked by creatures and you just don't have much time to kind of play out of it. But um, Plague Engineer from Control decks, you can play slower, you can afford to kind of hold your resources back, and then you can afford to, like, have the removal spell at the right time rather than, like, that within that two-turn window kind of thing. So it makes a lot of sense if the Delver deck's not playing it and it's just the like, mid-range control decks. It, it kind of plays into Elves' plans in how to beat it. 
Yeah, and a big part of that is Alessandro Shepard. That, that card mm-hmm. is just like so absolutely absurd. I've seen people suggest playing Gutshot. So, you know, once Gutshot comes into picture, you can never really feel safe with elves because, you know, when Delva is tapped out and, and mm-hmm. you have your Alessandro Shepard ready, then you can relentlessly like cast anything into like days, force, whatever, and be like, oh yeah, I got these, these, this force of it or something. But once they have gutshot, you always got to respect it. And given after sideboarding, I take out all the natural orders and lately even the crowd of Behemoth, I, I'm like that confident in being able to grind them out. Uh, but if they have gutshot in the main, you, you, they couldn't catch you like off guard. I, I'm not sure if gutshot really warrants a spot. Uh. Well, <laughs> we'll get to them in a second, but so we're going to talk about Modern Horizons 2 cards for most of this episode but there's two new incredibly strong one drops which are both uh, one toughness so i could honestly see gutshot being a, a pretty legit card going forward get so, your full copies now yeah <laughs> <laughs> the other thing i've been up to well i guess that at, at this point it, it was wizards who made the decision um is giving Quirion ranger a new job and i'm just so happy oh, yes. because you know <laughs> like 13 years for, like, ago years yeah yeah, there was a the great creature type update um, where they basically they had this idea, every creature's got to have a race and a chop. So you became like a goblin merchant or whatever, human, fighter, warrior, whatever you have. But Kieran Ranger, obviously a ranger, just stayed a ranger for all those years. And I, I, I created this hashtag, uh, hashtag and Kieran unemployment. And now it's time. Quirin Ranger finally. finally received a creature type. So it's a ranger now. Ranger. Certified, nice. official, found a job. 13, like this, this girl has been unemployed for over 20 years at this point. Like when she was printed, she didn't have a job during the great creature type update. She, she was like, she fell through the cracks, didn't get a job. Now, now she's got one. <laughs> nice. And she's going to have quite a job. We'll uh, talk about them more when we get to one of the cards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, what have you been up to? Have you been playing anything new or spicy? I haven't because when new stuff is coming out, like I love spoiler season, I love new cards, I love kind of just new ideas and stuff. And especially when it's something like Modern Horizons and this set, when it's like a load of playables for Legacy, I don't really have the urge to play current decks, to be honest. Like I'm just like thinking about how I'm going to build the new stuff. I'm just excited to play with the new cards. So I don't really, it happens every single time. It's quite normal now. I just yeah. Just accept that I'm going to play some cube online and and that's kind of it until this comes out. And then I'm just excited for next week and then I'm going to play a bunch of things. I really want to try like a kind of Mox Amber deck, um, the idea taken from uh, Marco Monta. I can't remember his surname, I'm afraid. Uh, MM17 on Magical Line. He's the guy that made like the Lurus Mox Amber deck. And um, I want to try like Ragavan, Mox Amber, Arayo, kind of an Esper Sentinel kind of nonsense. I've got that's my first thing I want to try out but yeah i'm just too excited for the new cards to play currently yeah there's so much stuff coming out and usually like in the past we decided we don't want to do super dedicated episodes to spoilers and reviews of of sets but this one has so many cards like we, we already had to cut a lot of cards to really only talk about the most important things that are coming out here but modern yeah, horizons that's... 2 everybody expected there to be a lot of playable cards given like how modern horizons 1 shaped the meta game but we got how many cards here like 3 6 9 12 uh, 14 cards that we want to talk about that we think are either definitely going to see play or very likely to, to cause some kind of change in the meta game yeah and so... this is this is us it's very important to think we we've tried to cut it down these are the ones that we think are the best of them like there's some cards that we've left out ignoble hierarch which i completely adore the card to bits and it's like one of my favorite things released in a long time but um i'll definitely try it. i want to play it in goblins as well like a completely different take on the deck um probably cutting wastelands and ports and stuff more combo centric 
people were probably playing Jund, kind of mid-range pals and stuff. Like it's it's pretty strong, but it's not like a very clear thing where it fits its presence on the format. And um, we're just really trying to shoot for the best ones that are definitely going to be picked up. Yeah, and, and some of the best we got at the very beginning. So why don't you tell us about the very first one we got here? Monke. This is Ragavan, Nimble Pilferer. Um, this is a legendary creature, pi monkey pirate. So it's pretty great already, you can tell. It is one red mana for a 2-1. And uh, Jackal Pup, please don't listen to the rest. We love you. Whenever Ragavan, Nimble Pilferer deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library. Till end of turn, you may cast that card. And it has dash for one and a red. Dash is, um, you may play the spell for its dash cost. If you do it gains haste and it's returned from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So already it's like, I mean, two power for one mana is in the past was like above rate. Nowadays it's kind of accepted. Like you're, you're getting one drops like Monastery Sift Spear that can um, get to three, four plus power quite easily and stuff. Um, what makes me think this card is so good is the treasure. So it's it's a hard one to kind of evaluate i think because it feels so pushed to me and why it feels so pushed to me is because in a shell like delver or any deck utilizing days and stuff the extra mana advantage especially early in the game is so strong i've seen people evaluating this card based on the the extra card for your opponent but I, i'm not even like that interested in that you're going to hit a land sometimes and it says cast so you can't play the lands uh it doesn't give you like the ability to cast it with any kind of mana so you do have to have the colors which is very thematic because it's really cool like the monkey steals something for opponent and it uses the stolen treasure to to play with it it's really cool the dash as well is nice it actually makes it a bit of a late better late game card i think you can uh, yeah obviously dash it in uh, when you need to when you have extra mana but why I'm, why i'm worried about the card is like it just really exacerbates the play draw um if you play this on turn one you have days active for any potential kind of removal spell if you want to or a creature to block it and then it attacks in creates a treasure token you're already able to then play like Either a two drop and a wasteland, which is like just really reminiscent of Deathrite Shaman. I think this card is not as good as Deathrite Shaman, but it has some similar play patterns. And um, I don't know, like Delver decks just use mana so well in the early game. If this was like a kind of a higher statted two drop, I'd be a lot less concerned about the treasure tokens. Um, there are some obvious downsides to being a legend, like you can't have multiples in play. It can be Caracas, which is pretty big deal um we may see like kind of cracks decks pick up a bit more of this like a lot of creatures we're seeing these days do seem to be legends as well um but it's just the 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 play draw dynamic where it's just so much better on the play and it's so much better on turn one and it snowballs that's the thing like delvers doesn't struggle to keep the board clear i know this is like talking about an ideal perspective where you have it on turn one on the play you have your days your blah blah, blah. but like this is this is the way delver builds its deck to play um so yeah, worried about this one. I think this is how this is maybe the highest ceiling of all the cards in the set to me. Um it, it might end up being worse than the card we'll talk about next, the Dragon's Rage Channeler. I think that card's more clearly good, but I think this one has the highest ceiling. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I think this is the second best uh, thing to come out of the set for Dava. Um like you mentioned, we're gonna talk about the other one. But with Ragawan the treasure really is what makes it a card, and then anything other than that comes on top. Because yeah. when you play Delver, you mentioned that, you always find yourself in these situations where you really want to wasteland them, but you also want to do something else. And one of the skills in Delver is to evaluate how to 
when you are supposed to wasteland and maybe take a little bit of a you can't even call it like a downswing in tempo because you you still get to like attack with your ragavan again but now you can do both and i never even thought about it but it's a good point that you compare this to to the initial mana advantage you get out of deathrite shaman obviously like we're not saying like this is the same level as deathrite shaman but the the mana you get out of this is actually like almost more reliable than deathrite shaman in the early game yeah, I mean, the difference between, like, you know those games where you, you play a one-drop and then turn two, your opponent plays a duel and she kind of passes or cantrips or whatever. And then you have the option of either playing, like, a young Pyromancer or a Tarmogoyf or wastelanding them. And then you you waste the mana if you uh, if you wasteland them. And you always feel kind of bad about it, but it's often the correct play in a lot of situations. But now you do both. And I just remember those games against Deathrite where they have the two-drop after playing. This is this is still attacking for two as well. That's a pretty serious amount of damage from Delver. Um pushing ahead and playing like their their two drop and wastelanding you so they have two threats in play and a land in play you have no land in play um again like it's a kind of idealish situation but it's it's gonna happen yeah, yeah. but the also the more streamlined the more optimized the format becomes like usually like the stronger divers the lower your mana curve is gonna be and the lower mana curve yours the more likely ragavan is gonna get something that you will be able to cast um especially in the mirror match right uh, mm-hmm. how bad does it feel if, if ragavan gets in and then you cast like in a diver from the opponent's side of the board yeah and, and you wasteland them and <laughs> it's, dude I, yeah. I even want to see a scenario where you dash this in and you somehow screw up a doomsday <laughs> that would be my thing <laughs> oh like it's so sick that it like kind of messes up personal tutor <laughs> because, i'm gonna cast your show and tell no no wait <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because it's yeah like um so with Dreadful Darkness, the way Doomsday went was to play Personal Tutor to be a faster combo deck to kill them before Dreadhold got to, like, snowball. And now they've kind of moved away from that and they're playing the mid-range plan. But now Ragavan is just like, okay, the the mana, the mana advantage is going to put you under more pressure than usual and we're playing more threats early, going to kill you faster. And now, um, yeah, even Personal Tutor, it kind of messes up. It's really funny. Something about the it being legendary um, makes me wonder how many copies of this you want to play because if it wasn't legendary, it's the kind of card you want to play as a four off. Now I'm wondering because there's this obvious tension um, between it being legendary, so you you want to play like usually like two or three, but on the other hand, you really want to have it early on, especially on the first turn. And if you have it in play, you maybe don't even like worry too much about that you can't play additional copies because it's already doing work. The really bad scenario is when you, when you have additional copies of it in hand and your opponent has something like a 3-3 that you can't deal with because then all of a sudden you don't get value from the one in play. You don't get value from the ones in your hand. So I'm I'm conflicted. Maybe I would probably like start out playing three copies and then depending on how it performs, I'm either going to go up to four copies or down to two copies. But it's definitely going to be a thing. And oh my God, I just saw it's mythic. So oh God. I have no idea how much this is going to cost. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree, actually. Three seems like a good starting point. I feel like I would probably just start by playing four to get it turn one as much as possible. You're playing Delver, you're playing that Brainstorm card to put back extras. I think it's just going to die a lot as well. That's true. You're gonna, It's going to get killed. You play another one, you attack him with Creature's Trade off. I think, I think yeah. four is a nice place. Awesome. And then we got even more cards you want to play in Diver. Like it's it's gonna be interesting to see what Diver actually ends up cutting to make room for additional yeah. cards because this deck really like... needs some help, didn't it? <laughs> Poor old Diver, right? I know. We, we got a petition where that's to help it out. <laughs> Maybe it never gets any new cards. So sad. Yeah. So this time we we 
almost got like Delva 2.0 as some people have called it and this one's Dragon Rage Channeler it's a 1-1 for a red human shaman whenever you cast a non-creature spell surveil one which basically means you scry one card but instead of putting it on the bottom you put it in your graveyard and why is this really good? Because it has Delirium. So if you have four different card types in your graveyard, it gets plus two, plus two, flying, and it must attack each combat if able. By the way, you think they're going to keyword attacks each combat if able? Maybe they're going to keyword it to, like, rage. I think that would be, cool. be pretty flavorful. I'll be yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's it starts as, as, as a 1-1 for, for a rat that surveils, and it turns into a 3-3 flying has to attack every turn. I think this card is... Even better than Rogavan. It's somewhat more reliable in the value that it generates. The Delirium is going to be hard with regards to the fourth card type. But once you get to that, you, you're basically playing eight Davos at this point, And uh, the pressure, not, but not only the pressure you put on your opponent, but the Surveil, I think, is actually going to matter. It's going to help you a little bit more with Brainstorms. It's going to help you find, for example, like your Reach in the middle late game if you need that. And overall, I think this is a really good card. I wonder whether Diver wants to play something to get the fourth copy at uh, the fourth card type in the yard because land instant usually not a problem sorceries a little bit more of a problem but not that big you usually play like four four pondas like like a fog bolt here or there and you can make it work but creature you can also always get usually like by hitting some of their deck um, creatures or maybe one of your creatures dies but then the fourth thing is it's not always that easy um how, how do you feel about the card yeah, I will just point out it's it's only counts your graveyard, so it has to have one. Oh, it's only our dying. graveyard. Oh, yeah. I see. <laughs> but but I I completely agree with your assessment so far. Like the surveil one is legit. Like it's it's really strong when you're pondering and stuff. And it's going to be like a kind of delve where you play turn one, and yeah, you can't get the blind flip. But I think I don't know. It's it's delve is probably a little bit more reliable to be able to flip still. But um, this is close, and it can't be pyroblasted. And it's and the surveilling is really really powerful. And um. Yeah, talking about getting delirium, enter everyone's favorite bauble, Mishra's bauble. I think um, people have already started playing bauble in like different kinds of decks because it plays very well with expressive iteration. Basically, you you take the bauble as the the card you can play that turn with the iteration, and so you can cast iteration on turn two. Like maybe you set out with a pond or on turn one or something, and so. Um, I think this deck just builds itself. It's going to have Delver, Dragon Rage Channeler. Probably Ragavan, but maybe the kind of prowess build doesn't use the mana as well. Um, what I'm thinking is, yeah, and then Sprite Dragons as well. And then um, probably like two Ethereal Forager maybe uh, to be seen. Oh, really? Because well, you're, I, I, I you're surveilling as well. That's, that's true. The thing is, at some point you got to cut something. And like if you if you play all of those cards, then you're definitely going to cut like the additional like tiny counter spells like Fogbolt and... Like, well, if you also want to play Days and Forest, then you're out of room. I'm I, thinking, I like, think. 14 threats is kind of unusual. So Delver, Dragon Rage Channeler, Sprite Dragon, Forager. It's it's rough. But then, oh, then okay, the, so you wouldn't have something like Young Pyromancer or, like, the, no. the Stomp Giant. I, I always keep forgetting the name. Oh, yeah, Bone Crusher Giant. No. Yeah, exactly. No, I think I'd just cut those. Because um, you have now, like, eight very good one-drops. Sprite Dragon is just especially insane at pushing damage. And like, look, all of your things fly. It's so strong. Every single creature in that deck flies. Delver, Except for Ragavan. <laughs> no, I wasn't actually including Ragavan. Um, I think Ragavan's actually going to fit better in a kind of the more mid-range style of Delver decks with Tarmogoyf mm-hmm. as like another strong two-drop to play and stuff. Um, I'm not sure on that either. The Ragavan could just fit in this as well. 
But um, <laughs> there's so many good threats, it's hard to choose. Remember when Blue Red Delver, the problem with the deck was it didn't quite have enough good threats. So it used to play, I don't know, some pretty bad ones. I can't remember now. Storm Chaser Mage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now it's like just got too many to choose from. But yeah, so I think uh, this this shell of like roughly 14 of those creatures um, could have any of the, any of the others as well in different numbers. True Name is always good in the, the burn heavy decks as well. Um, that's another reason for Ragavan's good, turn two True Names. And uh, and then, um, yeah, Baubles, because Baubles is great as well, because it also triggers the Surveil off the Dragon Rage channel and adds to the Lyrium. As I said, it plays all well expressive iteration. And then you just play like two or three Chain Lightnings, Lightning Bolts, obviously, Days, Force of Will, a couple of Force Negations, all the usual Delver stuff. And I think you won't play Wasteland. Maybe you could play some in the sideboard, is what I was thinking. But basically, it doesn't really cast anything in the deck. It's just a spell, and you prefer to be playing more spells and just burning people out basically so yeah, very, it's funny. Very the more optimized burn. the more optimized the deck gets the less reason you actually have to tap your wasteland for mana to cast anything even the the spell belly the third forager like if you have enough death you you're not even casting it for like a colorless mana at all it's it's yeah kind of a waste at that point totally and you might as well just wasteland and then use that to delve as well it's yeah I'm so excited. we'll see yeah yeah i think that that deck is terrifying to put it simply it's um it's a real real counterburn deck and it's uh yeah that that's gonna be a deck that's killing on turn four i think most of the time and i think this is gonna be your typical deck that people who aren't playing legacy who come into the format for like you know one big tournament like a gp or mm-hmm. whenever we have those again and they're gonna be like what should i play they're probably gonna pick up a deck like this yeah that makes sense and it's always a good choice like uh, the floor of the deck is so high and especially now as the cards are getting better um yeah, and even even here, like, so the Dragon Rage channel is like, I don't know, in the past, some of these decks were too reliant on the graveyard and stuff, but it's just not now. So Sprite Dragon and Delver laugh at it. Uh, Channeler, like, yeah, it hits the Delirium thing, but you're still getting to Surveil and stuff. Um, Forager pitches to Force, like, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like you just need so much removal against these decks now. So yeah, Delver are getting a lot of new tools. Uh, it's probably mm-hmm. going to remain one... or. or I'm going to say, like, the best deck in the format uh, at this point, the way things are looking to shape up. But there's more stuff to come. Mm-hmm. And one card I'm incredibly excited for, I guess this one's Spanish, Yavimaya Lacuna del Crecimiento. Uh, it's, it's basically like, like people call it Greenborg because it's Urborg, Tomb of the Yakmoth, but for forests. Every land in play is a forest. That's just it. It's a legendary land. Every land in play is a forest. This card... It's one of the most exciting things Wizards could have printed in years for me because I've always been joking around like there could be other ways to to abuse the Orbok mechanic and people have tried this weird deck where they, they have spreading algae to basically destroy it, uh, all the, the swamps that your opponent has or I was talking about like if you can get um, the, the blue Orbok you, you can use your carpet of flowers or chokes like in, in really weird ways but now we have the green Orbok and this is Super exciting, not only for elves, but especially for elves. There's there's so many different ways to make this work. And um, people talked to me and they were like, "Oh yeah, you can, you can tap your fetch lands for mana now when you're out of stuff to fetch." But yeah, that's like reason seventeen why this is good. To me, the main reason why this is incredible for elves is you get to use your cradles twice if you have Curran Ranger, because Curran Ranger asks you to bounce a forest back to your hand. It's like a very common trick in Elves if you don't have an extra land drop, but you need one more mana. You tap your land, you bounce it, replay it. Up until today, we only could do that with forests, but now we can do it with Cradle. You tap your Cradle for four, bounce it, replay it, tap it for four again, Kratos, Behemoth, bam. This is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. 
Another option that you could do, you you can like save your cradles from wastelands. I, I mean, they wouldn't wasteland you in the first place if they see this kind of interaction. They would look, try to get rid of the current ranger, but even then, you could bounce your cradle back to it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the whole thing, absurd. though. It's, it's like, yeah, they can't do it, but that's that's why it's so strong. I mean, in the past, they would, and from my little stint playing a bunch of elves, like yeah, wastelanding cradle is how they can just like kind of steal a win often, and. um yeah, so obviously they won't do it into the onboard ranger, but then you've got the ranger protected by symbiote, and then you have this like castle, and your your cradle is now part of that castle, and it's it's just even harder to interact with the deck. It's probably just going to be like a one-off because you you don't never really want to play the uh, have the second copy because it's legendary. But yeah, I'm just going to throw it in the deck. Um, there usually mm-hmm. is always like one flex slot where I played something like you know sometimes Pendlehaven, sometimes the third basic forest, sometimes like a savannah. Um, we, we will see how this is going to work out, but I'm, I'm super excited for this. Also, one more thing you can do with this, and I'm especially excited for that. You can turn on Forest Walk. So if you play Elfish Champion, mm-hmm. all your elves get plus one, plus one, and Forest Walk. And unless your opponent has no land in play, like, okay, I, I'm down for that, I guess. You will be able to just, like, turn your elves sideways, take, take four, take four, take four. And just get there. Like, it doesn't matter whether they have a Tarmogoyf or anything. Like, in the past, when people played Stoneforge Mystic, you, you couldn't attack into that. and was super annoying. Now you can just, like, get there. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, you, you won't be running into Snapcaster Mages, like, ambushing any of your creatures. It's... I, I love that. I love mm. that. I'm really excited for that. Are, are there any other uses in Legacy for this? Well, I was going to say, other Champions also, like, a nice built-in way to kind of combat Plague Engineer as well. Yeah, that seems like a nice addition to the deck. Um, one last thing in Elves, quickly, before there's a few other reasons to play it. Um... You said this makes you want to play crop rotation in the deck more as well. It's interesting because I, I, I kind of want to play crop rotation with this so I can get the extra use out of the cradles. It really only makes sense once you want to do it like for the third time. Otherwise, you could just like crop rotation your cradle away and get the second mm-hmm. cradle and get your big senate for Behemoth and kill them. But if you True. plan on... Um, if you plan on using your cradles multiple times each turn, maybe if you have some kind of mana sink or like, like an expensive planeswalker, I, I don't know. Because the, the thing is... If you play crop rotation, your opponent is already disincentivized to wasteland your cradle. But I mean, yeah, it creates these weird scenarios, and that's what I was talking about in one of the previous casts. I want to have weird scenarios for my opponent, especially at instant speed, where they're like, "Ah, there's like so many reasons I probably shouldn't do this, but if I do it, it could be good. But if I don't do it, they get so much ahead." And I, I want to strike the fear in them. And crop rotation has always been one of those cards that really makes your opponent think twice about whether they should go for it, because people can throw away their entire game if they wasteland to crop rotation and basically skip their turn, and you just like stay where you are. So you. I don't want to call it a time walk, but it sometimes certainly feels like it. I can see that. Also, just re- it's pretty cool with um, Bajuka Bog and Korean Ranger. You can replay it. <laughs> just relax. yeah, yeah. That, that, that's re- so you, in in the in the Newton world, right? Sometimes yes, you you, yeah. you had to go through like weird scenarios if you wanted to use your uh, Bajuka Bog again. You had to like sacrifice it to another reclaimer, and mm-hmm. then you had to somehow get it back from the graveyard and stuff. So it was like super complicated, but now you can just like pick it up again, again. Yeah. Bajuka Bog, Bajuka Bog, Bajuka Bog. <laughs> Very, very cool. Um, the other th- the other places that jumps out to me, I think Green White Depths absolutely loves this. Um, it, it's a way for, because the, they just didn't play Urborg because they're not playing black. And so it's another way for them to do the whole classic, like land, 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 and then you have three lands in play and you have the, the threatening of uh, the activation. So that's a pretty big one. Um, it lets your, like, your depths, like, sack for, um, or tap for crop rotations as well. It's, it's just amazing there. You can like the deck was is is similar to the other depths deck that it had it kind of had like weirdly bad mana but now I think this deck plays a few of them 
very nice there lands it's obviously fantastic like you're like there's there's some people saying it's like similar to the um Riftstone Portal, which is the graveyard-based one. If it's in the graveyard, your lands tap for green and white. But this just feels way better. Like just having it in play, and then your Tabernacle, your Maze of Earth, everything taps for green. Yeah, this is a big upgrade for that deck as well. Yeah, that actually really makes me wonder if at some point they're going to do it for the other card types. Because if they ever do it for Islands, you might as well just ban that card because Carpet of Flowers and Choke are just going to be too much. Like oh my Choke God, ties choke. down your own lands as well, but you can just like adjust to that much better. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And then Korean Ranger, bounce it, uh, end of turn, untap your lands. Oh, no, that's, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that works, yeah. I'm getting lost in the source. Awesome. <laughs> right, next one, we have one that I'm going to say is my hardest to evaluate. It is, it's generated loads of buzz. It's called Solitude. It's the white evoke pitch card. So it's three and a white, white. So five mana total for a three, two elemental incarnation. As flash, lifelink, um, when Solitude enters the battlefield, exile up to one target creature. That creature's control gains life equal to its power, so source of power shares. And then it has Evoke, which is exile a white card from your hand. So Evoke, for anyone that doesn't know, is a thing where you can pay uh, less of a mana cost for a creature. And when it enters the battlefield, it creates a trigger, which says you have to sacrifice it. So um, basically, this is like a, a source of power shares, force of will. Um, but you don't have to pay the white and white mana. And it can't be force of negation as well. Um, yeah, I'm actually struggling to to work this card out because pitching a card for a source of power shares is really good, but I can see a big downside because um like creature decks can just play lots of creatures. But on the other hand, this card might be just a complete game changer. It could be completely absolutely busted. I mean, if you've ever played Miracles, you know that you always have like three terminus in your hand that you can't cast at any given time. So it's you have you have plenty of cards to pitch to it. So. I'm leaning to the side that this card is completely insane and like Miracles is going to hardcast it for five mana. And, and when they do, that's insane. A, a flash lifelink body that source flashes as well. Um, the body is super real. So I think this is going to be incredible in blue-white control decks. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out whether it's going to be good enough for any other kind of deck. Because obviously, in something like, you know, Death and Texas, it would be really sweet to blink it, but at five mana. It's, actually, you know what you could do? You could, like, evoke it, and then with a trigger on the stack, you um, you violent Flicker Wisp, and that, that way it's you pretty, get to, like, real. extra two cra- Yeah, yeah. And they might play Charming Prince, maybe, as well, um, just for, like, while on two. It's also just, like... Because it's a creature, it gets around Thali attacks, and as I said, it can't be forced and negationed. So I think this is especially incredible against uh, Delver. So I think Death and, Te- Death and Texas will at least play one because you can recruit it for it. That's a good point. That's good. Uh, what I like about the a concept of a card like this existing is it makes your opponent being tapped out not a guaranteed thing because in the past in Mercus, for example or death in texas was tapped out and let's say they also didn't have while you could keep, be pretty sure that whatever you wanted to do with your creatures whether it's some kind of like crazy blink chain or get them with marit large or you know even like with elves have pull off some kind of combo you can't be sure that this is actually gonna work and now you have to factor in these uncertainties and i always like magic when there's a certain degree of uncertainties that you have to work around because that's part of like like why we are not chess and that's one of the hardest things in magic to evaluate these these probabilities and these odds like let's say they're like you you think they're like 20 percent to have this card but what if they don't then you're like so far ahead but if they do maybe you're just like a tiny bit behind so you would probably go for it and and a card like this being a card in the meta game that if it actually 
ends up seeing play, it's something you have to respect. I'm not sure if it's actually going to end up seeing play in Mercus, but it's it, it might. Like you've played more Mercus than me. Do, do you want more like pinpoint removal? I don't know. Um, there's just there's a lot of good removal. This is why I'm really struggling because <laughs> I want to call it as insane, but it's it's tough. Um, maybe it's like I think people will start out definitely trying a bunch and i think it could end up being like a kind of two of one or two of is where i'm leaning um maybe it's like a sideboard card where you want more removal uh pitching a card like when you're having all the force of wills as well um depends maybe it depends how you shift the deck right because i don't mind force of wills against delver often i know a lot of people side them all out i often like to keep roughly two if you're shifting to like a much more heavily white focused like sideboard this could either be like summon the main deck or side some of these in and then you side out all your forces. As we've said in this cast multiple times, I think the way the format is going, the more powerful things get, the more mana advantage matters more than card advantage. Um, obviously, it's very like, it depends on the situation, the matchup and stuff. But um, I, I can see this being, yeah, like, a, I, think it, I think two of sounds right in my head. But um We'll save that quote for like when we do our episode 200 <laughs> and this card has wrecked the format completely and stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the reason I'm more like gravitating towards something like Death in Texas or even Espavile is that I think Mercus probably doesn't have the white count to actually make that work, um, especially since you don't really want to pitch salts to plowshares. Like if you pitch salts to plowshares to this, unless <laughs> you're stopping something you really want to stop, you're feeling pretty bad. And that's, other that's than fair. that, there's not too much white. Other, yeah, I guess terminus. I think, and, and I think you're right. Actually, I'm just focusing on control because I see the source splash shares. But yeah, I definitely. I have no idea how many you're playing death and taxes. Like the the list is so so tight already. It's really hard to find space ever. I guess it somewhat competes against um, uh, what's the monarch thing again? Um, Palace jailer. Yeah, it somewhat yeah. competes against Palace jailer. Uh, but Palace jailer, of course, is the much much better card against anything control based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this is a card that we'll definitely see um, being tried. Yep. Uh, I, I'm more, I'm pretty much fifty fifty on whether this is actually going to become a legacy card or not. But <laughs> me, see, me too, guess. me too. Yeah, interesting. Um, let's move on to the next uh, white removal spell. Which this one is called Prismatic Ending. It's a white and X sorcery. Uh, has converge so exile target non-land permanent if its mana value is less than or equal to the number of colors of mana spent to cast the spell. I was pretty low on this at first. I didn't really get it. Um, I'm really not a fan of sorcery speed removal spells. If you can help it, have, they have to be very powerful. Um, the difference between sorcery and instant in Legacy, in my opinion, is like the difference of almost a whole mana's worth for a card. So I'm always very skeptical. And when I first saw it, I was like, okay, yeah, this is a kind of like, you know, maybe it can be a disenchant kind of thing. I thought I saw it as a sideboard card, but actually that was wrong. This is just like so flexible. So... This kills Delver or Vile or now Ragavan, the Dragon Rage Channeler for one mana. It, it kills Sylvan Library. It just, it's it's Exile target non-land permanent, right? It just kills everything. And Exile is really relevant for Clothis. Um, people still play Clothis in a decent numbers. Um, it exiles Uro. Again, not a good trade because you've drawn cards, but it does it still. Um, yeah, I'm actually pretty high on this card as like a one or two of in uh, Blue-White Control X. Blue-White X, whatever. And uh, it kind of, another ni- nice little trick is that you're playing Carpet of Flowers, as most control decks are. The Carpet of Flowers can give you like this fourth or extra mana, like color, to cast it for four on Jaces and whatever. So I'm actually quite high on this card. Yeah, I think the obvious comparison is Counselor's Judgment because mm-hmm. it hits the same kind of cards. But the, the cheaper ones are much easier to remove with this one, like you mentioned, right? You can get away with uh, just spending a single mana to. It, 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 I think. 
it's almost like additional copies of Swords to Plowshares on the lower end against uh, creature decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the high end, it's going to be much harder to really hit like these. Like even at four mana, it's, it's kind of hard to make four different kinds of mana early on. Yeah. Or like by turn four. Uh, three mana, I can still see getting there, even though that might be a little bit harder in the early game. But it, it's... Hmm. Yeah. I think this is actually better than Solitude. <laughs> I, I I could see that, honestly. It's, yeah, okay, more quotes for our 200 episode, but I, I could see that. Um, I don't see it being played in like high numbers and stuff, but I think it's going to be very good. My only like criticism is it never trades up on mana, and I think this is where you want to be finding a removal that does that. This is why the bar for creatures being playable in Legacy is always so high if they have a high mana cost, because if, they're, if you're paying three mana for a creature that just dies to bolt too easily, then you're... You need to like kind of reevaluate. So this is always trading even. But um, if your deck is set up to be able to like do that, like playing free spells to like trade off mana for cards, then the flexibility rewards you there. You know what's what's cute about this one? You can do the engineered explosives trick that you used to do against um, Thalia. Because mm-hmm. with Thalia, you just announce this for one, and then you pay the Thalia text with a different kind of mana, and then you you can uh, exile Thalia that way. The way I read yeah. this, that sounds really works, right. You can indeed. It's really sweet. Definitely. Awesome. Another sweet card that was just spoiled um, while we were sleeping is Sudden Addict. It's basically the third iteration of the Addict effects. We started out with, uh, what's the initial one? Diabolic Addict. Then Diabolic, we got, yeah. yeah was Liliana's it Liliana's Triumph. Triumph. And now we yeah. arrived at Sudden Addict. It's another um, instant, a colorless and a black. Target player sacrifices a creature. We've all been there. Split second. Ho. Whoa. I'm so sorry for a friend of mine who ended up like buying the two previous addicts and like I don't know Chinese foil or something because he really wanted those and I just woke up to the the message that dude he's gotta buy them again <laughs> like oh I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it has been like just changed so much recently hasn't it yeah yeah so I I think we pretty much all agree that this is a straight upgrade from Liliana's Triumph right I mean Liliana's Triumph has the upside of making them discard a card if you control like a Liliana's Planeswalker but yeah. I think the split second is just worse. Liliana's so Triumph more. doesn't target, so um, if they have like a Leyline of Sanctity out, fine. Your first thought is Veil, but split second gets around Veil. So it's very, very niche where Liliana's Triumph would be better, I think. And I've seen people talk about how this is so good against um, the Turbo Depth decks, 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 but I think they, they are not even playing Dryad Arbor anymore. No. Right? So my, my first instinct was, wow, fuck Depths, as I think everyone is doing. But actually, when you think about it, it's just another removal spell against them. Like so, yeah. It it doesn't. It's it's a sacrifice effect. So the same thing. They won't. They wouldn't be able to protect it with not of this world or Sajiri step. Like it, it doesn't change anything there. It's just another thing they have to discard. Um, there will be some people out there playing Dried Arbor still, but it's they've mostly moved away from it. So they can't fluster storm it. Um, that was a plan from the bug version and the rainbow version, I think. So yeah, that is a thing. But like, if this becomes really popular, they'll just play some creatures and have a creature in play. I don't think it's too hard for Depths to play around. Um, but this is the first removal spell that I think is good against Sh- Sneak and Show. How do you feel yeah, about that's, that? That's the main re- yeah, that's the main reason why I was actually thinking that this card could be good. Because all mm-hmm. of a sudden, no matter what they do, they, they can't do their thing where they get Grizzlebrand to play and then just, you know, draw 14, force a removal spell, easy game, GG, get out. At this point... <laughs> They, they can still draw the 14 cards or 7 cards if they want to, but they have to make a really calculated decision because the moment Grizzlebrand hits play, you got to keep priority. And then if you want to draw 7, you do that. If you want to draw 14, you have to draw 14 at once if you su- suspect they might have Sudden Addict. 
And yeah. making that decision of drawing 14 cards, paying 14 life without knowing what the first seven are going to be, that's quite different. Because a lot of times we find us, uh, ourselves in these situations where they're like, I really only want to draw seven, but if I have to, I'm going <clears> to <throat> draw another seven, but then I really need a lot of help. And, and making that decision of paying 14 life right away, or, or maybe even like just going to combat first to to connect and and maybe even just like not draw at all and only draw in response to the removal spell because otherwise the the, the race becomes really weird it makes it so much hard like okay i don't want to say so much harder but significantly harder for the sneak and show players to make a decision based on what they think is in your hand and i just love that that's a thing i i, I can see a lot of people struggling against this kind of card yeah, the the only downside is like I think there's going to be games where it's just like a very fast show and tell, and they get Grezzabran in play. Grezzabran straight away draws seven cards, and then yeah, you sudden edict it, but like they they have drawn seven cards for seven life, which is pretty strong. Um, those will happen, but yeah, I think on the whole, this is going to take away the times where they could just show and tell Emrakul with like the forces in hand and stuff. It, it does take away a lot of gameplay that the deck has. So nice one there. It's also like. Just good against Delver, I think. Um, sometimes you won't be trading up on mana, you'll be trading down against one drops. But yeah, it's an uncounterable edict. It's it's pretty strong. Yeah, no, I'm excited for this card. I will will add one more thing though. I really I just want to ramble and moan for a second that I I love Diabolic Edict. It's such a cool card. It looks evil, the art is great. I was really unhappy with Liliana's Triumph because it was an upgrade and I didn't like the art and I didn't like Diabolic Edict being taken away. This is at least a bit better. I still miss Diabolic Edict, but this is a bit cooler than Triumph, I think. So, at least I'm very much with you on this. I think the <laughs> the promo version of uh, Diabolic Edict, the uh, the foil promo. I, yeah. I know you're not into foils, right? But but to me, that was one of the most beautiful cards that ever existed. It's so cool. I think I had one of those back in back in the day, just because it was so great. Yeah, the old black foils are amazing. Speaking of removal spells, here's another one that we're going to be talking about. It's called Suspend. Just Suspend. I guess it continues the theme of uh, Wizards just like naming cards after mechanics. Yeah, I think there's a cycle because it's like Persist in black. So I think it is a cycle. Oh, actually, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so <laughs> this one, it's an instant. It's a single blue. Exile target creature and put two time counters on it. If it doesn't have, susp- have Suspend, it gains Suspend. Whoa. So is this the blue sorts of plowshares? No. <laughs> um, dude we we needed you to say yes so we, we i can use this like as a sound clip at the beginning or something <laughs> yes this this is the new blue source of plowshares definitely i i would never lie on this it. podcast perfect yes. <laughs> <laughs> um no my my uh thing is like it has some sweet tricks there's ways to make it very good um like to fairy time raveler will make it not the creature not be able to be cast in the upkeep when it comes back in and my favorite thing to do, I'm gonna, definitely going to play it, but this is not good, is like suspend something and then play standstill. So they have to crack the standstill. It's kind of funny. It's really sweet. But um, I think suspend is much closer to vapor snag than anything else. And if a deck wants vapor snag, maybe this is better. But as as a kind of control or mid-range card, I don't see it at all, honestly. Oh, you, you're really right about the suspend. Like up, up until now, I thought they can choose to play it, but you're actually forced to play it when the last time counter is removed. So you can force them to play it into standstill. Yes. Yeah, it's not like Cascade. It's uh, They have to play Well, I guess it. we still have the problem of making standstill work in the first place as a deck, but this is, this is pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you feel? Well, I think this is not going to become a card in Legacy. Uh, when it was spoiled, I, I saw a lot of people being like super excited for it, and I... I 
I was open to being caught by the hype. But the, mm -hmm. the coolest thing I can imagine is just like suspending your own Snapcaster, like blocking with a Snapcaster, and then before it dies, you just like suspend it, and then you can use it again like two turns later and stuff. But yeah, you have yeah, options like I, ephemerate and stuff in the format, I think. Yeah, but ephemerate doesn't like remove merit large remove and stuff, it. right? Yeah, this is, this is more I guess flexible. so. I think people will try it and like. I don't know. I it's not going to see play, right? No, I mean, no. that's what we're arriving at. Yeah. In my in my head, I'm just like, <laughs> if Blue Road Delver wanted one Vapor Snag, maybe they'll play this instead kind of thing. I'm not sure. Pass for me. But yeah. I definitely want to do the standstill thing. I'll definitely try it out in like a Teferi standstill deck, but uh, not expecting it to be a big player. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so another card that people have been talking a lot about, uh, that's called Grief. It's an elemental incarnation, 3-2 two for two colorless and two black. Menace, I think that means it can only be blocked by, by two or more creatures, two right? More. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. When Grief enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. And it has Evoke, exile a black card from your hand. So I guess that's the whole Force of Will cycle, but now on a creature. And this card, I think it's going to be insanely good in Vintage, but is it also going to be C-Play in Legacy? Because it's, it's kind of like Unmask, right? Unmask has the same thing where you exile a card from your hand, you get to um, make them discard something. And here you also get the body into the graveyard, which I guess we can like quickly talk about many ways we can abuse this. But... How excited are you for this card? Is this going to be something that's going to become a mainstay in Legacy as well? I like it. I think it'll be played uh, maybe not as like a mainstay, not as a big player kind of thing, but I think the card is good. Um, as you said, the whole Evoke, I think every single one of the Evoke creatures are probably, maybe apart from the blue one and the red is not spoiled yet, will be good in Vintage. Like Vintage just loves pitch cards. And so at least the black, white and green will be played there, I'm sure. But this one for Legacy, I'm excited to try it. And I think Reanimator will play it, as you said. The downside against Unmask is this can't target yourself. So you can't unmask yourself, you can't grief yourself and then uh, discard a Grizzly Brown and reanimate it, whatever. But the difference is, like, as you said, this body goes in the graveyard. And then you can, like, if your opponent is just really like high on interaction, then you just reanimate this or animate did this or exhume this and you keep stripping their hand. And uh, that, that's a really powerful dynamic to it. And Fort Manor is not, like, uncastable in that deck either. So I would be surprised if. Uh, Reanimator doesn't just pick this up and play it. Probably in the main deck as a four of. Um, as a four of, even. Yeah. yeah. Because, like you mentioned, Unmask can target yourself. And I've seen a reasonable reasonable amount of games where they actually go for Unmask on themselves uh, on the first turn yeah. and then just go all in on it. Maybe that's because I play mostly play Fs and they feel safer to do that kind of play. Like, I guess if I represented like Blue Mana, they probably wouldn't like go for that, yeah. that easily. Maybe, maybe I could see things ending up on like a split two and two. But I feel like the, just being able to like cast your reanimation spells as discard spells is is pretty powerful, and the deck will still play Cabal Therapy. And again, it's not it's similar enough that you get to see their hand for that. Um, then you could like sack it and reanimate it again. It's a way to like pressure Planeswalkers. Like Narset is very good against Reanimator. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty good there. The other place I'm excited for it is in Vengevine decks because Evoke you still cast the creature even if it sacrifices. So. Uh, in Hogek, I think there's a there's a chance that this is played. You can definitely go like Citrus Supplier, Mill, Avengevine, Evoke this, get your Avengevine turn one and stuff. It's kind of like nut drawery. Um, it's actually really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
the, yeah. the moment you mentioned like this deck, my <laughs> eyes widened and my mouth like became gaping open. I was like, yeah. whoa. And you, you have a lot of pitch cards. Wines. You have you have like bridge from belows that get stuck in your hand to pitch and stuff. You have the extra blood gas and grave crawlers and whatever. Oh, they're fine to cast, but whatever. So yeah. This is another one where I don't think it's actually that insane in Hogak. It seems like an obvious first fit. I think it just makes the nut draws better. And otherwise, um, exiling a card is a pretty real cost. The deck uses cards very well, like all extra lands and mills for crabs and stuff. And the the cards you can like careful study away. So I don't know where this is going to fit. I think I think Hogak can probably just start by trying four of them and see where it goes. But um, the way Hogak wins against a lot of the format is by making their cards effectively not very good is not by actually like stripping all the, the the interaction like you beat control by just having recursion rather than actually stripping their source of power shares even though you do it often with cabal therapy so um i don't actually rate like the discard that highly in the deck but playing an extra creature for free is pretty good so we'll see on that one I guess it also helps that it gives you a little bit more of interaction against combo decks because i always felt like kogak is okay against combo decks but not great it's very true very true that's that's actually probably the biggest argument for it in the deck at all actually is uh the deck always struggled with combo and you had like four thoughts in the sideboard but they just always feel awful honestly because every time you're spending mana to like interact rather than playing your your game plan trying to set up turn three or four wins you always just felt like yeah i'm just discarding a card and time walking myself but now that can be changed so yeah all right i'm, I'm a bit more sold after that point <laughs> happy to sell you on the card that that <laughs> There's another um, card in the cycle that I think is actually going to be by far the best, the best pitch card that Wizard I, has printed in the I set. Agree. You, you want to read it out? Let's do it. It's called Endurance. This is the green pitch one. It costs one green green, so three mana total for another elemental incarnation. It is a three four flash reach. When Endurance enters the battlefield, up to one target player puts all cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library in a random order. And as with the others, it has Evoke Exile a green card from your hand. Yeah, this card, it doesn't like read incredible until you start thinking about the, the applications. So the body is like pushed. It's very good. The most obvious thing that jumps out is it blocks Delver and probably Dragon Rage Channeler soon very well. Um, yeah, 3 mana, 3, 4 flash reach is like, they've obviously made that with the stats in mind, I feel like. But then the other things it does, like, so it's it's a Tormod's Crypt, but, like, you keep it in your hand um, and you just have to pitch a green card. So that is obviously very good against any graveyard deck. So Reanimator, Hogak, if you're playing as Ant with Passing Flames. I mean, there's everyone knows there's plenty of things. And it's just also the like incidental hate. So I think this is the kind of thing where you can you can have as a flash threat in whatever mid-range mirrors. And then if your opponent has an Uro, um, yeah, you just flash it in, get rid of their Uro. Uh, it's... Yeah, incidental graveyard hate on a good body is very powerful. And another cool thing, which I didn't realize at the beginning, I think a lot of people didn't, is it's kind of doomsday hate, right? So you, um, if their graveyard has, I think it's three or more cards or library as well. Yeah, if they play the Thassa's Oracle and you get like a card in their graveyard, like the doomsday they cast, put it back into their library. Now all of a sudden they've got three cards. The, the Thassa's Oracle doesn't win them the game and they're probably stuck with nothing to do. And yeah, again, it's just like they don't see it coming. It's, it's the evoke cost. Yeah, I, I'm super excited because when I see a card like this, I'm I'm seeing it as a triple threat. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned, it hits the graveyard. It's decent enough to see play against Delver, and you also get some kind of Doomsday Hate, which is rather rare to actually or hard to come by in Legacy. Like we, we we've got 
stuff like you know stifle and trick bind and uh, people have tried weird cards to fight doomsday but that's like just one of the big upsides of doomsday it's so incredibly resilient and now we have a zero mana instant way to actually mess with doomsday yeah sign me up um, I've, I've talked to a couple of people and everybody's like oh yeah this is going to be like a one-off in the main deck and then like three in the sideboard of maverick and like if you ask me i'm, I'm gonna put like four in my sideboard of maverick of, of elves just because it, it covers such a wide spread of matchups and this kind of excites me incredibly and i think you mentioned that doomsday can maybe you know find ways around it uh, if you can only put like two cards back if they somehow manage to to make it that way uh but it's it's gonna be really hard right if, if they are out of cards in the library and they want to get thus's oracle down while only having a maximum of two cards in the in the graveyard that's gonna be really hard usually they they end up with like ideas unbound led dark ritual and then the doomsday is already in the yard anyway so uh. yeah exactly <laughs> i think it has to be like to beat this card, I mean, I'm going to make a fool of myself here because I'm so bad at Doomslay, but it has to in- involve Ideas Unbound. Because the usual thing they do is like um, Street Wraith, and maybe another Street Wraith, and then uh, Edge of Autumn, which also sacrifices the land. That's four cards in the graveyard, so you, you easily get it there. Yeah, I guess you got to float a lot of mana and then Ideas Unbound. And, but even yeah. then, <laughs> actually, there's probably like much more qualified people that, that can actually like work this out. But... Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a way, but it, it, just the option, and, and it's free, like, yeah, and it, you, they don't see it coming as well unless they've discarded. Duress doesn't hit it nice as well, I just realized. And on top of that, if they actually try to play around it, if they somehow found a way, then your removal spells are going to be turned on because then all of a sudden you remove the Oracle, they use they, they lose the Devotion too, and yeah, it's, it's not mm-hmm. going to be good enough anymore. Yeah, really, really good card. Because I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's kind of cute, kind of neat. But yeah, I agree. I think this is the best one out of the out of the thing so far and honestly it might be the after the red one drops i think it's the best card spoiled so far yeah i would agree for me i would um, definitely I, agree i could i could see like even kind of bant control x main decking one or two of these it's yeah just really good yeah this, this, this is going to be one of well, i don't kind of want to call it like the the chase mythic of the set um mm-hmm. but but it's up there just it's, because it's, it's so versatile it's weird isn't it because like solitude the white one and grief the black one read so much more powerful but um when you think about the the play patterns that all of them uh yeah. in, engage with this one just just does so much on like a more reasonable costed body as well just three mana is very reasonable yeah i just love that this this for Deva, it's such a nightmare right three four it's like I, i'm probably always gonna end up two for one my, uh, myself if i ever want to get rid of this unless i have mm-hmm. like a big sprite dragon or something yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> Um, like yeah, it's it's lovely. Moving on, we got a really cool one, uh, Esper Sentinel. It's a uh, one white for a one one. It's an artifact creature, human soldier, and whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn, draw a card unless that player pays X, where X is Esper Sentinel's power. This is just cool. It's just like another taxi bear. Like drawing cards is obviously great. You just want to be with from these kind of white taxi-based decks. I don't know if it's like slam dunk in, in uh, death and taxes probably they can't afford the space but i don't even know exactly where it fits in yet i want to play it in like mox opal decks with um Araya, as i mentioned at the beginning of the cast but it's kind of like some obvious synergies. maybe it goes in humans actually so maybe one of the, some of the obvious synergies that with luminar aspirant you can pump the power um with thalia's lieutenant you can pump the power with the general whatever it's called, the three-mana human lord, you pump the power as well. So, I mean, the the one-mana tax, unless um, on the first non-creature spell an opponent plays each turn, is it already pretty good? 
Um, as soon as it gets to two or three, you are going to be drawing a card of the first one. It is still the first spell, so yeah, like uh, against like a kind of storm-based deck, you should be drawing one card or whatever. But it's a pretty strong effect for a one-drop. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving this card. Uh, It's going to remain to be seen which decks I actually want to play this. But this is is so annoying, right? Just because of the play patterns. Mm -hmm. If if you run this out on the play turn one, and your opponent, for example, is a Delver deck, uh, they don't want to Pond on the first turn. They don't want a Lightning Bolt, because either either way, they are trading like one for two at this point. So they really only want to play a creature. And I guess... Fortunately for them, they just got a bunch of like new creatures to play on the first <laughs> turn. But overall, I love when a card like this creates play patterns that are very annoying for the opponent. I mean, assuming that the deck you're putting this in isn't already oppressive. Like, I guess Dread or Darkness also created annoying play patterns, but that was like <laughs> in the best deck in the format already. But this yeah. this is kind of cool. Uh, it's probably not going to be like a like a Death in Texas thing, right? They already have yeah. like eight things they want to do in the first turn. But humans, like if humans can get more help, humans is a cool deck. I actually love that deck quite a lot. So I think it's I'd, a deck that, that could really do with some extra card advantage as well. Like Death in Texas has a lot of very grindy elements with Recruiter and Flicker with Chains and Stoneforge Mystic and stuff. Um, Esper Vile, similarly. But humans is a lot more aggressive and can pump this and is happy to have more one drops. At the moment, it's just kind of like Noble Hierarch and... Aethervile, it's just happy to have more things to play on turn one because the curve can be higher as well. So that's where I see it most. Uh, yeah. I'm excited for this one. <laughs> same, same. But Did, didn't actually Marcus one's... talk, oh, talk about this, that he wants to create it? A... Oh no, that was a different kind of deck. Yeah, let, let's move on. <laughs> but this could go into <laughs> that deck as well. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. But I'm actually really excited for these next two, which, okay, spoiler, Merfolk has always been kind of like, until from the last like four or five, whatever years, bit of a meme. But Gonna go hot take time. I think these two new cards actually makes the deck pretty good. Um, so we're, I'm good gonna combine. Again, I, I gotta step in. Marfok <laughs> has been a tier one deck. I played it. It won a I legacy know, GP. That's it's why really I said good. the last it's four really or five cool. years. This is why I, I <laughs> okay. saved okay, myself. Okay, sorry. I, I thought you meant like it only stopped being a meme in the last four. No, or five no, years. no. Okay, no. never mind. Never I, mind. I know that. I know that it was super legit for a long time. It was one of the best decks in legacy for a while. So we're gonna combine these two together. The first one is Svelun, God of the Sea and Sky. Second one is Rishton, Dockhand. Svelun, God of the Sea and Sky is a 3-mana, three 3-4. Three, uh, one and two blue casting costs. Legendary creature, Merfolk God. If you control two other Merfolks, Svelun, God of the Sea and Sky has Indestructible. When Svelun, God of the Sea attacks, draw a card. Other Merfolks you control have Ward 1. And Rishton, Dockhand is 1-mana, so a blue mana, for a 1-2 Merfolk. Has Island Walk and it has the uh, Rishton Port ability. So 1-mana, tap it, tap target land. That's especially nice because this is not like Richardson Port where you're using two of your mana. Once it's in play, you're just trading your one mana for their one mana. I think these two are just like really, really big additions to Merfolk. The Svalon God of the Sea and Sky is not going to be like a kind of four of whatever. It doesn't pump the team, but still, it's going to be pretty easy to keep it indestructible. Um, when it attacks, you draw a card. That's always nice. It's just like a nice extra thing. But I think the other Merfolk having Ward 1 is really huge. It's a taxing effect the deck didn't have before. Um, you're also playing Curse Catcher, probably still in the deck. Uh, I think that's the thing that pushes it over the top. When you're making their Lightning Bolts be two mana, their, you know, anything targeting your creatures two mana, and then you have kind of, you can play Days as well and stuff. I think that's what really kind of pushes it over the edge for me. So I'm big into that card. It's kind of awkward that you always want your Vials to be at two, basically. So you'll cast it a lot, but yeah. High on this one is like a kind of two of. And the Richard and Dock Hand, I think, is just fantastic. There are different builds of Merfolk in the past, so some play, they always play Caverns, some play like Mutavolts, some play Wastelands and stuff. 
if you want to play Wastelands, you probably want to play the Dot Can especially to, to kind of cut off the Manor's Null. But again, the Dot Can is also nice with the God, right? You The Ward 1 stacks up when you're tapping their lands and stuff. I just think they're like another good one drop for the deck is kind of exactly what it needed. So the Dot Can is probably the bigger addition. But um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm kind of excited to see if people do well with it. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think with regards to the Dock Hand, um, there have been some one-drops that people played in the past, but oh, what's it called? People, in the Merfolk scene, we called it Ben. I don't remember what it was. Uh, <laughs> what's the actual name? It, it's something. that There's a Merfolk that you can evolve, and then you draw a card when you do that, and that's a, another one-drop I quite liked, and sometimes even just like straight-up played over Curse Catcher. Dock Hand is going to be... It's going to depend a lot on how many decks there are going to be that that you actually want to tap their lands against. For example, against Deva, that's that's like a losing battle, right? Tapping Deva's lands. Unless they're like, you wasteland them down to something and they don't have, like if they don't have a threat in play, then tapping their lands can be pretty good. I don't know. I just uh, think I just think as a as a body for a one drop that already has Island Walk is nice, but then like gets pumped by the Lords, obviously. And just having the option to tap the land, I'm looking at it as an option rather than we're playing the card for the, the mm-hmm. tap ability. But I think, I think if, if, if that's the way we look at it, then I still like the other one better. Um, damn, I, I gotta figure out what's the name of the card. Uh, uh, Cozy's Catcher is the one that whenever no, they no, shuffle, no, you get a no, counter. No, Cozy's Trickster, that's the one. But, Trickster. Um, that, that's the, the Smurfog that basically... Uh, can this. Oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. But yeah, if we, if we compare those based on that, I think Benthic Biomancer is still the one that I'd rather oh. play over this. That's the one mana, um, one and one. you can pay two mana to mana. Yeah, exactly. It becomes a 2-2 and you draw a card. And I think that's the one I would still play over this. This is why I'm really? not super excited about the dock hand. Yeah, drawing okay. the extra card is like quite, worth quite a lot. Isn't it? Isn't it looting or is it drawing? It's it's pretty sure it's drawing. Draw a card, then discard a card. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, that makes it closer. Like, you're probably going to end up discarding a land anyways because with Merfolk you always play like 20, 22 lands, mm-hmm. something in between there. And you end up having too many lands anyways because most of the deck is like two mana. Yeah. And hmm, it's it's tough. Maybe you know, maybe even Curse Catcher has to go. Curse Catcher is always the card where it gets made fun of. It's like a pretty bad card in a vacuum. But whenever you play against the deck, it's always like, oh my god, I would have, I would have won if it weren't for this damn Curse Catcher. I, I think it does a lot of work. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think it, it, the meme okay. is real. Curse Catcher is not as great as maybe not. Maybe but, yeah. not. All right. I'm going to do I'm going to do a Murfolk stream when this uh, the set comes out. I'm going to try and prove everyone. Dude, I was going to do that. <laughs> wow. Well, we can we can okay. co-stream. Okay, Easy. we could do that. We could, we can actually play the Murfolk Mirror, the most stupidest mirror in the, in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, have to share. I have, I have, I have to share talk. one quick story, which I've told quite a few times. But um, for our London tournaments, there's there's a kind of joke about Murfolk being OP. I think this is kind of everywhere. But one for Eternal Weekend, one of the Eternal Weekends, we kind of tried to convince everyone in our kind of local group and store that we we're all going to play Merfolk because it was secretly really busted. And uh, one poor guy like turned up to the Eternal Weekend and he'd like, we said that we didn't have enough islands. So we needed some islands and he'd bought islands from home and gave them to us and stuff. It was really uh, kind of mean there. But then uh, we after that, we did one of our monthly events and we told everyone to play Merfolk. There was like 15 people playing Merfolk and we had like Merfolk assassins in the sideboard, Lawans everywhere. It was hilarious. And one poor guy actually played Merfolk and he just got ranched by all the Merfolk assassins and stuff in the mirrors. And people kept like having these mirrors where they were trying to sign up Lord of Atlantis, but they just didn't have enough other cards to bring in. So there's always like these Lord of Atlantis just pumping both sides and stuff. It's just absolute madness. 
advice from a veteran of the Murfolk Mirror. If yeah. you're on the play, keeping Lord of Atlantis makes a lot more sense than keeping it on the draw, I feel. Because on the play, you're always going to be either even on attacks or one attack up. So having a lord that pumps everything is a little bit better for you. This is the words of a man that's played many Murfolk Mirrors. <laughs> I, I have. I really have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more word on several whatever, God of the Sea and Sky. Mm-hmm. I think the obvious comparison to that one is Kira Great Glasspinner, which for those who don't know, it's basically the same monocost, one blue blue. Uh, I think it's a 2-2 flying. It's not a Murfolk, but it used to be played in Murfolk because mm-hmm. it basically says whenever one of your creatures becomes the target of a spell or ability for the first time in a turn, it's countered. So what people did against status, they would like target it with Karakas. Karakas' ability would fizzle and then you can remove it. Uh, this one gives everything Ward 1, so that's a little bit easier to work around, but obviously the upside is also much bigger, right? It's it's a 3-4, so it's going to be much harder to remove. It's a Murfolk that benefits from Island Walk and, and the, the Lord abilities. You draw an extra card when it attacks, which is actually going to become quite relevant. Actually, that excites me the most about this card. And the indestructible part, like, yeah, I guess that's... Yeah, that's the least important actually, one. But. Yeah, I, I guess the, the most important one about Indestructible is that it can just like block stuff and, mm-hmm. and survive. Yeah, it's it's like the combination of good body size for the mana cost, and all three effects can be relevant. So, how yeah. many pl- I mean, how many copies of this are you playing in, in your Murfolk deck? Two or three, I think. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It depends, like what kind of style of Murfolk. Because I mean. I'll be honest, I've not looked into Murfolk in quite a while and how they're built these days. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was never sure on like how you build the mana base because there's so many lands you could play that aren't casting a Murfolk. And so you always have like the kind of wasteland, mutavolt, cavern hands and then you just can't cast anything. You have like a daze and a Lord of Atlantis in your hand and you're just like, what am I doing with my life? So this is where we need to have the blue Urborg, please. <laughs> the Murfolk chaos, tier the zero chaos as soon as that comes <laughs> so. oh man I mean one day who knows yeah but I'm excited like, you really get it. I, every time we, we like we do these casts I leave with the thought that I really want to play some kind of deck because I'm super excited for it and mm. lately that there's been like a lot of diver but now I'm actually super excited for Murfolk <laughs> <I can't laughs> what have I done what have I done Dude, I, I used to own Murfolk in paper it used to be like my main deck like 2011-ish, nice. like when I transitioned, I had lands and I had Murfolk. I played both decks like an equal amount, but then I, I became a little bit more partial to Murfolk. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> and then I went into into some kind of sneak and show bullshit for quite a while. And like, yeah, here we are today. I, I got to go back to my roots. Nice. Well, yeah, let, let's do a dual stream, Murfolk stream. I love I love. I want to do that. Well. Let's do it. We, we, we tweet about it, at EternalMTG. We'll let you know. Cool. Also, by the way, we actually—I uh, totally forgot. This is like the worst point to to like plug this. Um, we actually have an Instagram account. Oh, I'm we? pretty sure it's also at Eternal MTG. Yes, it, it cool. only took me like a week to figure everything out. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we're we're probably mostly gonna be posting announcements about the podcast and memes, but that's what you're in for, right? That's <laughs> that's yep. the whole deal. Totally. So Eternal MTG on Twitter and Eternal MTG on Instagram. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, before we before we close it out, there's two more cards that I want to talk about. The first one, I'm actually quite high on with regards to Vintage, but I think you you were like, yeah, this is just going to be another another one of those. Well, could be, but is not. And that's yeah. Void Mirror. It's a two-mana artifact. Whenever a player casts a spell, if no color mana was played, that was spent to cast it, counter that spell. Pretty clean, pretty straightforward. 
which usually means it's either going to be bandworthy or not going to be good at all. Yeah, I think, it, at least in Vintage, this is going to be an insanely good sideboard card. I mean, the obvious thing is shops, but also against combo decks and control decks. I think shops um, plays this. <laughs> shops, pl- are you crazy? Are you what? actually crazy? No, I, I, this is this is a shops card. I, I, I mean, against control, it gets rid of their Moxon for the extra mana and stuff. And yeah, yeah, like so you're just going to play the green Urborg, and so you can cast your stuff and an actual Urborg as well. I don't know. I just think it's so like it, like you have to be on the play, otherwise they get to play a Moxon, and then they can just use the Moxon to cast their spells. So you have to like pair it with Nullrod to do something, I guess. And then they hope that they don't have an Urborg or the green Urborg and. I don't know. Like, oh, it, okay. I see. I see. So, yeah. I, like, I was thinking about the wrong way. I was like, this completely turns off Misha's workshop and basically anything they could ever cast. But you're right. You can you can spend your Mox color mana to yeah. cast, I don't know, something like a Trinisphere or whatever. Yeah. 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 You just So, on the play, it's it's like day and night. So, on the play, you stop the Mox and resolving. So, it's good there. On the draw, like, they get to play one Mox in and they get to play a spell every turn. And so that's just not going to really cut it for a sideboard card. And I think just being day and night on the draw on the play is also just not going to cut it for me. So, yeah, I think this is honestly the kind of card where, like, yeah, if shops can afford to have the consistency of, um, uh, like, some colored mana, so if it plays more Urborgs, I think the the green Urborg is going to be, like, so, so massive in Vintage as well because of Once Upon a Time, uh, Force of Vigor, kind of hard cast and stuff from Bizarre and whatever decks... So I think that green air is going to be everywhere in, in the format. So, yeah, I, I just really, really don't see this card doing anything in any format. Okay, so at this point, the only thing we're really looking at is, is stopping Paradoxical Outcome because they can't get their stuff back, to, their zero mana stuff back down. Yeah. And that's pretty. That's probably like, yeah, neither of us. I mean, it turns off pitch things. So it could be, this is really weird to think about, but it's actually good against Dredge. Yeah, that, that's the third one. That, that's why I was initially so excited yeah. for it because okay. I figured it's against the three big things in vintage like combo, shops, and dredge. But now, since we threw it out, shops kind of, which is so weird because yeah. this card is obviously designed to hurt shops, but it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if people play it, there will absolutely be games where someone plays it and shops can't cast their spells. But uh, I think there's just going to be too many times where they do, and it, like you're you're spending two mana for an artifact that. You know, you could be paying one more for a uh, what's it called, the energy flux and like null. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Energy flux, dude. I hate energy flux. The the, <laughs> the moment, like I, I used to borrow vintage decks and then play in vintage tournaments, and then I learned a lot from that. The moment somebody told me I can't use my workshop mana to pay for energy flux, I was like, the fuck am I doing in this format? Like I was, I was like, oh yeah, this is easy. Like I tip this, yeah, pay for pay for this, pay for that. It's like, no, you can't do that. What? It's like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Learning Vintage was one of my favorite experiences in all of Magic. Also, when, when Mystical Tutor was a thing, I tried to Mystical Tutor for all different kinds of things. And people would always tell me, like my quote-unquote Vintage coaches, it's like, Mystical Tutor gets Ancestor Recall or Forceful, and that's all it ever does. I mean, that was when Vintage was a lot less powerful. I'm sure you, you find other stuff now. But I always tried to get something like Tinker, and they were like, no. It gets Ancestor Recall or Forcefer, and there's almost no other reason to ever get anything else. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can only recommend if, if you've never played Vintage, uh, it's so easy to get into on Magic Online right now. And yeah, I, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something else a lot of people are loving because of the throwback and, and the flavor is Kaldra's. Actually, how did, what is that? 
Kaldros complete? Complete. Complete is like a way of the Phyrexian spell complete. It's like a... I haven't read the books or like the lore or anything, but it's a it's a Phyrexian thing. Okay, so that's not a new English word. I would actually be learning. Yeah. So yeah, okay. yeah I think it's like like when you've completed the corruption in the Phyrexianness and stuff. Oh, we call it the, the conservative party here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is a legendary artifact equipment, seven mana, living weapon. So it creates a zero zero charm token that it becomes attached to. It itself is indestructible. Equipped creature gets plus five, plus five, has first strike, trample, indestructible, haste. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to another creature, exile that creature. Equip seven. That's a lot of words on an equipment. <laughs> one, of my, one of my friends from, well, he's currently living in Germany, a guy called Carl. He said this is the questing beast of equipments. That's actually a really good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's probably going to be like a lot of niche interactions that we are not even like yet aware of that this this card actually like mm-hmm. does. But okay, so let's break it down. This is obviously like a Stoneforge Mystic card, right? So you play your Stoneforge on turn 2 or you, on turn 3, you get this into play. Mm-hmm. You get a 5/5 five, five Haster, which is like number 1. Mm-hmm. Trample, so you can also like it doesn't really get chump blocked very well. First strike, like first strike plus trample is a weird combination, but I guess it works. Yeah. So the abilities are the old Caldra equipments, just to clear it up. So do you remember them? There was the shield yeah, of Caldra, sword of Caldra, of Caldra. Yeah, 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 exactly. I've never so, used them. But. No, well, I did when I was like super Timmy. Fun. I tried to build it like EDH deck with them, but the only thing is pisses me off which um, another fr- london friend pointed out to me is this is all the abilities except for the, the the sword had whenever this creature deals damage to a creature to exile a creature they've changed it to combat damage so it's all the same things apart from one little change so it's not actually caldra complete but i guess um, it's just like part of the new te- way of templating this yeah, kind of stuff probably probably so you can't put hermetic study on it and like start pinging everything <laughs> i guess i guess i mean it'd be a nice reward for like seven mana sort of thing but yeah Probably. Yeah, like like you were ever going to pay that seven mana. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> so, the, yeah, I guess the obviously obvious comparison is Better Sky, right? That's what everybody is mm-hmm. comparing it against. This is like the much more aggressive version. This is the one that attacks. It doesn't care about blocking. It doesn't give you life. So it's actually going to be interesting which one's going to be better in a damage race because this one has haste and one more power. So it's relevant. It also doesn't get like chump blocked like Better Sky, even though like when Better Sky gets chump blocked, of course, you, you still get the life. Um, I initially was super high on this card. Um, I, I'm always excited like when anything comes out that could make Stoneforge Mystic a better card because Stoneforge, I'm not high on it, but I like I, I respect the card and that it's like a card advantage thing for two mana. I just think it's incredibly slow. And now that we have this thing that has haste and trample, like it gets there. It might actually get the job done. That's actually what excites me. But everybody's so negative on the card and no i'm a little bit sad <laughs> i'm i'm really low on it as well to be honest um the way i can see it working before i get into the negatives and make you sadder is i think it has to be in a, a blue white like aggressive shell so you have days is a must because it's still a decent play pattern where turn two stonefoot mystic you get to daze something hopefully and then you get to replay your land and you have the two man to put it in cool and i think you'll play mother of runes because the, the, the germ still gets bounced by Brazen Borrower, ex- exiled by Source of Plowshares, the new white Evoke card. Like, uh, it still gets Terminus, which Mother Runes obviously isn't going to save you there, but it's another thing. So it's not like the thing is impossible to deal with. It's just like the lightning bolts and the fatal pushes of the world, and you can't just kill the uh, the Caldra complete. So it's good against the black and red removal, but I think it's actually pretty easy to, to, 
deal with the token still. So this is where Mother of Runes comes in to stop the bounce and the swords kind of effects. And then, yeah, I guess in the rest of the deck, you'd just try and get more kind of aggressive tempo slides and blue-white cards. Maybe like Spellqueller's Time to Shine, this kind of thing. Something like that. But otherwise, basically, I don't think Control wants this because it taps to attack, so you can't like play defense with it. It doesn't have lifelink, which is the main reason Control decks play that. So in my opinion, Battle Skull is better basically every time in Control decks. For death and taxes, is just like a stupid four four. Like, I, I just hate Better Sky because it's so stupid. It's yeah. four four do nothing. Like it doesn't even tap. Uh, like come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think Better Skull is going to be better. Like in every single deck that plays Stoneforge Mystic currently built, I think Better Skull is better than this. I think this would have to be built around, like like I said, the the kind of Mother of Ruins days kind of shell. I guess you could, you could play it like in a shell with Flicker Whisper Spire. Like Flicker Whisper yeah. is reasonably aggressive, and it like. Once you lose the token, you can like use it on this one again. Yes, that that is that's legit. So maybe it's like a blue white tempo blink Aetherval deck. I guess. I don't know. Like <laughs> this is this is so much to make this. And then like if you if you don't have the things line up, it's seven mana. Like seven mana is about ten thousand mana more than five mana in legacy terms. Well the thing is like Right now, even like five mana is pretty unobtainable. Like if yeah. You, if you, I mean, well, there's a reason nobody plays Stonefudge decks. Yeah, well, like Death and Taxes and if Miracles played or Control played a couple of Stonefudge Mystics. But you, when you was Miracles actually like playing Stonefudge for the last I know, time? I know, I know. did well with it. But, but I'm just saying decks do get to like five mana. Um, seven yeah, because mana they don't so play much. Stonefudge. <laughs> yeah, true. true, true. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Yeah, I'm, 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 really, I'm really low on the card, basically. I don't think it'll be played. Okay, we're in a weird spot. You're low on this card, and I'm low on Stoneforge. So, yeah. I mean, I agree. This is probably not going to see a lot of play, but I'm excited for the Maverick. Like, like Maverick has Cradle. Maverick can actually, like, play, pay the seven sometimes. Okay. Maverick has Mother of Runes. Um, Maverick is happy to go aggressive. It's a it's a Basco Mirror Breaker. But That's actually a good point to put. I, I, I guess Manriki Guzari is the Basco yeah, Mirror Breaker. Yeah, but, like, but oh, well. just think of that term, Batskull Mirror Breaker. When's that going to come up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we're going to trademark that. that. That's the official <laughs> everyday channel charm. You always have to pay, like, royalties to us whenever you use that. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I, I think that, like, the deck you described, that I think Marcus was, Marcus Ewart was the one who had, had that idea when we talked about mm-hmm. it, um, or just straight up in, in Maverick, because I, I, I'm excited for this in Maverick. Maverick is already, like aggressive okay. by nature it doesn't care that much about the life gain um i guess against Delva, the life gain is quite relevant on the other hand like having a five five haste trample creature against Delva is also super relevant so let's yeah, see this is one of fair. the lower cards in the format but it still was good enough to make our list so that's something I, actually maverick i didn't think of and it's probably one of the more reasonable ones but still of course you didn't think about maverick <laughs> it's always on my mind really just uh, subconsciously i promise <laughs> yeah my, my, my maverick friends already sent me like two or three different lists of how to use this card and basically it's like a straight up maverick list that plays this oh and yeah um endurance the the green pitch card in the main so th- this is this, sure. these are two cards that could actually see play in maverick and endurance probably is going to see a lot of play in maverick so watch out for that card for deck to come back i think yeah. that's that's pretty much it from the ones we selected right there's something like 10 15 more cards that are yeah not quite there, but you know, could be at some point in the future. Um, this set yeah. is exciting. Not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. I'll just the only go thing through that's confusing. Some of the yeah. little ones, like 
people are going to try really fun stuff with the the thraster tempest's raw is the big dinosaur costs three mana less to cast for each spell cast this turn so it's like it's a seven seven trample haste tramples over planeswalkers and it has hexproof as long as it enters the battle for this okay. turn i'm pretty sure some of the, like the storm thing guys are gonna meme about that a bit other things i'm just trying through. oh yeah we actually we somehow ended up not talking about this one card that i thought i'd put in but then maybe maybe you deleted it again <gasps> oh i, I bet yeah that, well? that's yeah exactly uh-huh. here it is somehow we, we missed out on that i, I'm I did sure see I it, it but, in, but one of us deleted it i probably it was uh, me accidentally <laughs> cool so guys will is one of the suspend cards so there's a new um kind of theme of ancestral visions kind of style so it has no mana cost so you can't cast it usually it has uh, one green suspend four and then it's basically Yorgmoth Will. Until end of turn, you may play land cards and cast spells from your graveyard. If a card will be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, exile that card instead. Like, yeah, it reads like a Yorgmoth Will. It isn't a Yorgmoth Will, I think. I'm hard, like, It's probably got the most powerful effect of any of the cards in the set, but it's just not Yorgmoth Will. Like, so the ways to cast these cards, are, which aren't suspend, are like and, um, as foretold which I th- it's just very slow and clunky. It's three mana like Will, but you need to have both together. It's like a two-card combo, which is just it's just a, a lot for these kind of combo decks. And they're also uh, in blue. Hmm. Actually, that's fine. I'm rambling. But um, yeah, the other one is Electrodominance, which is like red-red, then you can cast it. So people try it. I just don't... like. So yeah, you get to recast the LEDs, basically. But why yours Will is so, so good is because in vintage you just have more powerful cards as well you're tinkering or demonic tutoring you're doing all this stuff i am highly 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 skeptical this card uh, actually plays out well yeah this card created quite the buzz um quite the big discussion on the living a legacy group i eventually mm-hmm. like I, I stopped reading the replies because it got pretty <laughs> heated from what i saw right. but i think this is just a dud this is just literally yeah. not gonna do anything in legacy at all it's just suspend <clears throat> if it was suspend one definitely if it was suspend two Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd already be like, yeah, yeah. But suspend four means like if you suspend it on the first turn, it's gonna become a thing on the fifth turn, and yeah. that's just like, yeah. It's I, also, yeah, um, I, 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 I guess we should talk about like the weird interaction with rituals because this one actually gets cast in your upkeep. So unlike Chuck Mothwell, you can't go like, oh, like Dark Ritual, Dark Ritual, then cast Chuck Mothwell, then get the Dark Rituals back. Because this one, unless you cast the rituals in your upkeep and then do something at instant speed, I guess at nauseum if you're lucky. You yeah. you don't get to leverage rituals, and I and agree. At that point, like, what are you actually gonna do with this? Yeah, I completely agree. So, you, I think you you just have to pair it with as foretold or electrodominance. There's there's no other way. Like, uh, there's just no, nothing else to to do with it. Like, you're not gonna suspend it. So that's just not gonna work. Um, I guess the the only other way that people might actually do it is like you suspend it. Like I keep going to the suspend just because like I think all the other ways that we talked about are just like not viable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is suspend, I guess. But <laughs> you you use it like as a past in flames on the next turn. Like you try to go off on the fourth turn and then you fail and then you have this one coming down on the fifth turn. But it's it, it needs so many things to like click into place yeah. and and. It, 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 yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So, so there is the, another one in the, in the thing is Profane Tutor, which is a demonic tutor that has Suspend 2 for 1 and a black. Um, I think this card is better in a vacuum. Suspend 2 is kind of doable. I don't think it'll be like played in Legacy just for those costs. I think it'll be like a modern card potentially. But maybe there is a, a, like a, a Storm deck with As Foretold and then Profane Tutor and Guy as well. Maybe. That would be the 
where it comes out. But then, like, Guy's Will doesn't cast a profane tutor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a smart or intelligent uh, Storm player, so I'm going to kind of leave it at that. But, yeah, I'm going to go strong take. I think this card is a complete dud with you as well. Yeah, complete garbage. Why did I guess that's actually where we deleted it again. <laughs> I guess we have to talk about it because people are so excited for it. Yeah, well, be ready to delete this podcast as soon as it breaks the format, okay? <laughs> that's it, a bet it, I'm willing to make. It's the kind of card where like, it could, you know, um, just to save some little bit of skin. Like, The effect is so powerful that maybe the As Told kind of style is worth it because you get to just like recast your LEDs and um, Lotus Petals for, for once. And then, like the LED, obviously you can then just cast the, um, like a action spell. I don't know. Still, still pretty yeah. questionable. If there's a way, people are gonna find a way. That's just like yeah. the nature of magic, on, on yeah. especially on Magic Online. Like, there's so much innovation coming out of it, and you really see which decks are good enough, and which decks are just like, yeah, this works at my LTS, but it doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I guess this this is gonna be it for us. Um. Is there anything else that you saw? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of going to... through. Like, I really like the iguana, the the kind of basking root waller. Just like I won't talk about it too much, but it's like one one red for one one, but it has madness zero, and for one red it gets plus two plus seven to end of turn, activate it once per turn. Um, now that you have root waller and this, it's kind of cool with Vengevine decks. You could play like in the kind of um, putrid kind of style stuff, and now with grief as well. Like I can see people messing around with this. There are there are there's already like a red green kind of madness deck with Angie's Ravener, Ravener and Hollow Ones and LED and stuff. So I think this is a really nice addition to that. And the deck is already like kind of top sixteen, a couple of challenges. So kind of cool there. I think it'll be played. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, it's probably gonna see more play than Gaia Spur. <laughs> <laughs> let's see, let's see. Yeah, definitely. Let's see. Awesome. So what are you up to on, on for the rest of the weekend? Um playing lots of Warhammer. Um, oh yeah, that's the that's the best. I'm a- <laughs> I'm actually going to the beer garden for the first time in a year. <sighs> lucky, lucky. Alright, I'll trade, I'll trade. <laughs> Although, well, I guess you could do both. <laughs> yeah, totally. I um I had my first vaccine shot a couple of days ago, so I'm still not a hundred percent so I'm being weirdly normal and not going to drink lots of beer for this weekend. Being really not like this is the exception. I'm not going to drink lots of beer this week. Okay, <laughs> this is how it works. I've told you right how I've only had beer twice in my life. Crazy! I just don't believe you. It's so weird. I, I never well, had coffee in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Next time, next time we uh, go out, I'll I'll show you the ways of the beer. You'd be the first non-millionaire person to buy me a beer. I'm just throwing it really? out there. Or maybe you are. Like I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm not a millionaire. I'm a billionaire. Obviously. Easy game. I, I bought loads of As Foretolds before Guy's Will breaks the format. This is is where my money's going to come from. You did a pretty bad job at actually selling it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like no one ever listens to me. It's it's the opposite, right? It's the opposite game. I think you actually bought a bunch of like Rochade and Dockhand options. And yeah, we'll we'll see about that. (laughs) Lord of Atlantis coming to you soon. Yeah. That's a really cool card. If you want to support the baseless speculation we did on Dockhand and Gaiaswell and lots of other cards that are not going to see play, you can support us by leaving a review, for example, on Apple Podcasts. All of those are going to go up on our uh, upcoming website. This is, this is slowly becoming a meme, but I, I, 
going to tell you, the website is going to be there eventually. <laughs> or you can become a Patreon. We are, we're getting a lot of new Patreons. It's a really great thing. It helps us out with a lot of things that we've done. Um, also, like getting past American customs, um, selling, uh, selling, yeah, also selling, but also sending out uh, Patreon t-shirts. And yeah, that's patreon.com slash everydayeternal. Uh, you can also join our Discord. We've got a lot more people lately in the Discord. This is so exciting. Discord is my favorite part about the podcast at this point. And at this point, our our supporters in Discord, they're even starting their own podcasts. Maybe they're like, oh, this podcast is not good anymore. <laughs> no, no, but seriously. I, um, I need to listen to that one. I'm excited too. They're, they're yeah, already a good, got a queued up. Good group. Uh, they're all just great. Yeah, that one's from Victor Benatzt. Uh, it's yeah. called the Stockholm Legacy Report. It has a really sweet logo, by the way. I'm actually going to check that out after the podcast now. I'm actually, on that note, the, the thing I'm most excited about when we can like do events again is when Marcus does his uh, Vicon Legacy thing, and hopefully the Stockholm crew can come over as well. And like maybe Sweden is our like the podcast's real home. Oh, maybe it could be. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, have you been to Marcus tournament before? Because I really want no. to go to the next time. No, but I'm 110% going to the next one. You know, that's actually going to become the next Bazaar of Moxen. And we're going to be like, we were <laughs> there when there were only 20 people. And now this has 500. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were cool. <laughs> In this tiny little suburb of, I don't even know, Gothenburg or something. <laughs> it looks so nice. It's just like, he, he lives by the sea. And then they'd stop halfway through for a really nice big lunch and stuff. It's just the perfect legacy tournament can't wait can't wait mm-hmm. that's going to be for us today uh, if you want to find us online you can find us at EternalMTG on Twitter and Instagram uh, you can find me at It's Julian on uh, Twitter and I think you're Whitefaces on Twitch and I'm WhitefacesMTG just... on Twitter yes you got it right I just I just opened my Twitch to find out <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So thank you to all of you. Thank you so much for supporting the running of the show, especially our Eternal Witness tier patrons, Tommy Hinks, Trent Browers, Testacular, Sebastian Hollager, Guillaume, Jake, and Severin Schwarzuber, and our Grizzle Brand tier supporters, Victor Bernat, Batshubat, Scott Monroe, Jeremy Gates, Henrik Korkutz, Tom Hepp, Christopher Reinhardt, and Paragon Games in St. Louis. Have a great weekend, have a great week ahead, and see you again next time when we will find out how Roshane Dockhand has actually broken the format. <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> bye bye. <laughs> bye.